Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. But in the battle in which we're in with evil in this world, in your life and in my life, light armor and mud flaps is not going to get it. Because all around us, all around us, we see people, families, individuals being crippled and killed because of evil that is so pervasive and in such disguise, presenting itself as light and ending up being deadly and dark. So the question is, as we walk up here, what do we do about it? The truth is you have God-given help in your fight against sin. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young kicks off his message, Battle Armor, showing you the natural consequences of evil and sharing proven truth about the armor you need to effectively protect yourself in the war against sin. Stay with us, that's up next. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Battle Armor. A man was lecturing on a university campus. He was talking about the problem in cities of the world. He was spelling out all the challenges you have when millions of people are stacked up on top of one another. Problems with traffic, problems with crime, problems with economics, problems with the rich and the poor and those in between, problems of communication. And he went on and on and on enumerating all the problems you have in the major cities of the world until finally you could almost feel the audience saying, we got it. <laughs> you know, we, we, we understand. We see, we know these problems. What do you do about it? What do you do about it? About the time you'd begin to ask that question when he kept going over and over statistics and challenges in big cities, he told this story, the speaker. He said during the Second World War in London, they had a gathering of individuals who were trying to figure out what to do about the the German submarines, those little U-boats that were just destroying much of the ships and the shipping that would go into the British Isles. It got to the point they wondered they could have enough food, they'd have enough munitions. They were using ships and men and equipment left and right, and they couldn't find these little U-boats. They couldn't find those big German submarines. And they wonder if Great Britain would be able to stand any longer at the peak of the exploitation by the submarine unless an answer was found to deal with the German submarines. Until finally a guy suggested, the speaker, the answer is really simple, boil the ocean. <laughs> and you get the ocean to a temperature where it would boil those little submarines and U-boats had to come to the surface, then you could pick them all, pew, 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 one by one. And the speaker sat down. Some wise character in the back said, how in the world do you boil the ocean? The speaker stood up 
and said, I've diagnosed the problem. <laughs> I've given you the answer. You implement it. You follow through. Kind of like evil, isn't it? Have you noticed since we've been talking about evil as you listen to radio and listen, watch television, get news reports on the internet, have you noticed how many times the word evil comes up? It's like, what's wrong? Evil. What happened? Evil. What? Evil. 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 And everybody is diagnosing the problem of evil, right? Have you picked up on that? It's just out there. Evil, evil. And you ask, well, what do you do about it? Oh, that's a simple answer. The answer to evil is to replace it by good. Not going too fast for anybody, am I? Are we up to speed? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Take evil, overcome evil with good. I'll tell you the answer. <laughs> Implement it. <laughs> How does that happen? How does it happen? Paul tells us in the passage we've been looking at very, very clearly and directly how to implement, how to overcome evil with good. Listen at it again with this background in mind. Ephesians 6, 11, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Paul is saying we're at war, we're in battles, we're a battle against good and evil in this world. You and I, if we're going to be successful, we have to put on the full armor of God. So we'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil because we're in a struggle, verse 12. Then verse 13, it says, take up. We put on, we take up over and over the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand. Now he gets real specific. He says, stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is that? What he is saying here in really two, two different sections. First is past tense. Notice it says, having put on, did you get that? Having put on the belt of truth and having put on the vest of righteousness, having put on the shoes of peace. If you're a Christian, we already have this armor on us. And what is this really? It's putting on Jesus Christ. A member of our church, by the way, I tell this story without the permission of this person, without this person's permission, but with their knowledge, I was going to tell it whether they gave me permission or not, and I didn't get permission. Ed Hendy is a member of our church, Taste of Texas, talk radio guy for many years on talk radio in the morning. Uh, Ed Hendy was at a reception, and a man came up to him that had lost both legs, and he said, Ed, you coached me in, in soccer when I was a little guy. And he said, well, what happened to you? He said, I, I've been to Iraq. He said, I was in a Humvee, 
said those IEDs they put in the road exploded and, and said it took off both my legs. He said, every day in, in Iraq, so many of our guys are being killed or they're being crippled because underneath the Humvees, he said all the Humvees had around them is light armor and mud flaps. And he said they figured out these, these INDs they put under the road and, and they blow us up and said that's how so many daily are losing their limbs and being crippled or being killed. And Ed said, well, you know, it looks like they would put some steel under there. And he said, well, they haven't yet. So shortly after there, Ed then being a part of the media went to Iraq. And if you knew Hindi like I know Hindi, he's not satisfied with staying at Baghdad. He went out on the front lines in a fire zone. And when he got there, he saw a gunnery sergeant who was welding scrap pieces of metal and Humvees that had been blown up and tanks that had been damaged under, under these different Humvees that were still there, putting metal under. And Ed says, why are you doing that? The government is going to send you something. He said, well, we asked six months ago for the Pentagon to send us some metal to save the, the life and the limbs of these who are running around these Humvees every day, many, many, many hundreds of them all over Iraq. He said, we haven't heard from them yet. That's the same bunch that's going to be handling all of our Medicare and Medicaid, incidentally, our hospitalization. <laughs> and Ed said, well, what do you need? And he said, what do you mean? He said, give me a list. What do you need? And so Ed got out a pen. The sergeant told him all they needed, metal, steel, et cetera, soldering equipment to do it. And Ed got a long list, yellow page, two or three pages. When he got through, he said, I'll have this here in five working days. Now, here's what happened. Uh, Ed went on uh, a mountain there, got one of those intercontinental telephones and called a member of our church, Danny Lee. Goes to church right here. He called Danny, and Danny was at a hunting lease. 4 a.m. in the morning, he said, and the phone rang. He knew it wasn't good news. And it was Hindi on top of a mountain in Iraq saying, Danny, get out your pen. Take this list. And he wrote down that long list. He said, Danny, go buy that tomorrow and mail it to Baghdad in my name. Danny went out. He said he went to every tractor store. He went to Walmart. He went to all these places everywhere around and bought all kind of stuff, metal, steel, et cetera, et cetera. And he boxed it all up. And called $15,000 to ship it to Baghdad, air freight. It got there the next day, and Hindi had talked to some military people in helicopters, et cetera, and it landed on the front line right where he said it is, not in five days, but in four days, and they began putting metal under these Humvees. <laughs> Several times and recently, I questioned Ed. He said he was at a reception and a young man came up to him and said, are you Ed Hindi? He said, yes. He said, I want you to meet my friend. He was there in Iraq and a Humvee blew up with him. But because you had that steel put under there, he is perfectly safe. Perfectly safe. How many lives that were saved? I don't know. Now, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. 
We run around with light armor and mud flaps. We have the name of Christian, but that's all it is. We have mud flaps on to keep the mud off of us as best we can so nobody will see it or know about it. But in the battle in which we're in with evil in this world, in your life and in my life, light armor and mud flaps is not going to get it. Because all around us, all around us, we see people, families, individuals being crippled and killed because of evil that is so pervasive and in such disguise, presenting itself as light and ending up being deadly and dark. So the question is, as we walk up here, what do we do about it? By the way, remember how skilled our opponents are. You see how skilled they are? Somebody comes into church, has a Bible in their arm. Boy, you like them. You have a lot in common with them. And they tell you about how they're investing here and they made money there and they triple their money there. And you say, man, this guy is really successful. If you have a little deal like that and I can have a little part of it, you say, oh yeah, we got, hey, give me a thousand dollars. I'll turn it into a couple of thousand in a month or so. I got a little room there. So you give him a thousand and sure enough, a month or so, he brings back your thousand and another $1,200. Whoa, man. Any, any, any other little deals you got in the market or whatever you do, cut me in. He said, well, then he came back and said, boy, I had something and I tripled my money, but I didn't have room for anything. You had to put in at least 20,000. He said, well, I would have done it. He, no, no, Wayne, we'll be another thing. And so he comes back and the little lady says, oh, I got something now. It's going to take $40,000. He said, oh, I can borrow the money. I can get it. And he said, I think you'll triple your money. And a month later, he comes back and said, well, I didn't triple your money. I only doubled it. Well, I'll live with that. You know, 40 becomes 80. Then finally he says, I've got this big, beautiful deal. It's a lead pipe scent you can't miss, but I'm going to need $200,000. I don't have money like that. I'm going to go borrow it. And you give me $200,000, bang, boom, bang. He's gone. He joins another church with a Bible under his arm and finds other people he wants to con. That's how the devil works in every area of your life and in my life, ladies and gentlemen. That's how he operates. What are we going to do about it? We had better put on not light armor and mud flaps. We'd better put on the whole armor of God, and here we have the first pieces of it. What's the first thing we put on? Is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. By the way, it says having put on the belt of truth. The, and the Roman soldiers, that's the image here. That's the metaphor here. They wore belts. And their belts were really, you know, they, they told the rank of the soldier. You tell the, where they've been. And they'd wear that belt even when they weren't in their military armor and people would know that's a soldier. And by the way, there was no stealth with a Roman soldier. When they walked in unison, you'd hear, choo, 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 choo. it's their belt, their battles, their rank, their family, what they'd done, what they hadn't done, a mark of distinction. We put on the belt of truth. By the way, Paul's order is first. If you don't put on truth up front, all the rest of the armor doesn't make any difference. 
We put on truth, we're putting on Jesus. Jesus is truth. Well, how do you know Jesus is truth? Somebody said it was a, let me tell you something. Jesus is truth because of what he said. What did he say? Have you ever read principles like this? Remember, we have learned that you would never come up with a single thing Jesus taught by using common sense. It's almost the opposite of common sense, what Jesus taught, but it's profound truth. That's why we know he is truth. What he said. Also, we know he embodies truth because of what he did. What he did. Performed miracles, died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. He ascended into heaven for what he did. We know that he is indeed truth. Also, we know he's truth because of what you and I, if you're in Christ, have experienced with him. He's come into our life. He's forgiven us. He's cleaned up our act. And it's an ongoing experience with him that you have and that I have. That's how we know that he is truth. Remember in John Before Jesus was crucified, he was questioned by Pilate. And Pilate went to him and said, are you a king? Jesus said, oh, I'm a king, but not the kingdom of this world right now. He says, my kingdom is a kingdom that you cannot see. He says, I have come, this is Jesus, that I may testify to truth. Jesus came to testify to truth. And then Pilate said, I love this. He said, what is truth? Before Jesus could tell him, and he was looking truth right dead in the face, Pilate walked away. No other comment. Pilate says, what is truth? And bang, he left. He was looking at, I am the way and the truth and the life, and he turned away from it. Living truth. You see, the unique thing, one of the unique things about Christianity is that Jesus didn't teach all of this. He lived and practiced and fleshed out all of this. The validity of his message was seen in the life that he lived. What a magnificent thing. Truth. I am the truth. By the way, somebody said, well, that's true. You say, well, how do you, everybody asked you to define truth. Well, you don't even know what truth is. Let me give you a simple definition of truth that nobody can argue with, and I'll use only one-syllable words, not original me. I read it in Peter Kreft, Between Heaven and Hell. I think these are the words of Socrates. What is truth? One-syllable words. I'll give you a definition nobody can argue with. You ready for it? Here you go. If you say what is, that it is, That's true. If you say what is not, that it is not, that is true. But if you say what is, that it is not, that is not true. If you say what is not, that it is, that is not truth. I have defined truth, thanks to Socrates, with one-syllable words, that nobody can argue with. Jesus says, I am truth. You got to put on the belt of truth to begin your walk with Christ. It's essential. Now, I looked at this and I could get real pious, but I said, early one morning when it was dark and very few of you were awake, 
I was by myself and I was thinking and praying and I said, Lord, let your truth come into my life. Is there anything in the past or present that doesn't ring true with you in Homer Edwin Young? Little bitty indiscretions, some big things I miss, some things, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to just open up my life, open up my life to truth. Try it. See if there's anything in your life that does not line up with the very truth that God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ. First thing we put on is a belt of truth. It just is the core of who we must become in Jesus Christ. It's the core of who we are in Jesus Christ. Truth always has to be there, always has to be that standard of our walk and our life in Christ if we're going to win the battle against evil in the world. Truth, put on the belt of truth. Also, he says, what do you do? You put on the vest of righteousness, uh, 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 the, the breastplate of righteousness. You, you know, uh, and it looks like that in a Roman soldier. And what is this righteousness? What is this vest that God gives us in Christ? Everybody here who's been to church in the last little bit, you can define righteousness, remember? You thought, well, I'd got no, 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 no. In Christ, we're right with God, right? Isn't that great? In Christ, we can get right with ourselves. In Christ, we can get right with everybody else. And that's what we put on. And when people look at you and me, they need to see there is somebody who is right with God, right with themselves, and seeks to be right with everybody. That is that righteousness. That is our identity. What are you known as? What, what's your deal? Well, I'm this, I'm that. No, what are you known as? We need to be known as simply soldiers marching in the different direction of the stream of this world who are put on Jesus Christ. And you see that in this protects our heart and our emotions. See, that's what the, that's what the vest does. It protects us so we can be protected from the darts, from the evil one that comes. And it's already on us if we're in Christ. We have to recognize it. Have to recognize it. Then what's the next thing that we put on? We put on the shoes of peace. Wait a minute. Well, you're going to need shoes. You're going to battle. I wouldn't recommend going to battle barefooted, would you? That's not a very good idea. And so you put on shoes, but these shoes are peace. That seems contradictory. You see it? I'm going to war. I'm battling with evil in the world, but I'm putting on peace. How does that work? What gives a warrior peace? You know what it is? Purpose. You can fight when there's a reason to fight. You can go to war when you know there's a purpose bigger than you understand, but a clear purpose as what's going to happen. Therefore, we put on the shoes of peace. It says we've got purpose as we go out to battle as evil comes in contact with us. Purpose, purpose. And what's happened in our society, in our culture, is that as we have been prohibited by spurious law and judgment from going out in the world with purpose saying, I am on the side of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Shh, shh, shh. You can't say that in school. Shh, shh. 
Oh, don't, don't, don't bring it up in the business. Shh. Oh, don't, don't bring it up in the little league. Shh, shh, shh. No, keep all this. See, the world wants us to privatize our faith. The world says, you keep your faith inside the church and don't bother us out here. We're going to strip everything in this world of God, of Christ. We privatized our faith. I remember Mario Cuomo, when he was governor of New York, they asked him about pro-life. Was he pro-choice or pro-life? He said, well, I'm pro-life because the Catholic Church teaches the reverence of life. He said, but that's my private faith. He said, in my public faith, I'm pro-choice because I want all my constituency, the woman, to have the right to choose. See, that's the dichotomy we're facing. Here's my faith. It's privatized. It's personal. Oh, but out in the world, I'm not going to express my faith, and therefore our witness is amputated from life. And it must not be. It cannot be. And if there's ever a time for boldness, it is now for us to put on that girdle of truth, for us to know that we have that vest of righteousness that Christ has given to us, and we put on the shoes of peace because we know we have purpose in this life. What is our purpose? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our witness. That's our walk. We can't let that be stripped from us as it's happening in our society. Say, well, what's the end result of all this evil that we see? It is destroying the basic Judeo-Christian culture of America, the foundation upon which this nation came into being. What is culture? Good question. Culture, simply defined, is the glue that holds common values together. Did you get that? You need to know that. Culture is the glue that holds our common values together. And what's happening today is our culture is being disintegrated. It is being taken from us. You say, well, what do we do about it? We go to the Bible, and you know, I've said this Tentatively, let me say it clearly. The Old Testament tells us how God dealt with evil in that day, right? That's the Old Testament. These are stories of God's hand in history dealing with evil in that day. You can look a little slice of biblical history here, and it's so very, very important. Go to 2 Kings chapter number 21. And you have here the Hall of Fame. You have a wonderful king in Hezekiah, godly king. 50 years later, you have a godly king in Josiah. You would think in that little interim period with these two Hall of Fame kings, in the middle, you'd think there'd be biblical prosperity and honesty and integrity, but that's not what you find in the middle. You find the reign of Manasseh, and Manasseh, brought evil in the land of Israel and changed the whole culture of Israel. You have the hall of fame, two of the kings, in the middle you have the hall of shame. And look what the story is of Manasseh. It will sound familiar to us. Verse 21, it says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. 
For he rebuilt the high places, pagan altars, which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an asteroid as Ahab, the king of Israel, had done and worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, pagan altars, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will not, I will not, I will not put my, I will put my name. Verse five, for he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts in the house of the Lord, pagan altars. And he made his son pass through the fire. He sacrificed his own son to fire. He made his son to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and use divinations and dealt with mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking the Lord to anger. This is the reign of Manasseh. Now, what did he do in his day that brought evil and destruction into Israel? Number one, he tore down fences. He tore down walls. He tore down boundaries. Ladies and gentlemen, when you take down a fence, you better do it real, real slowly because you better think why that fence was put up there in the first place. And when Manasseh began to throw out the Ten Commandments and the worship in the temple, and he began to say, we live in a pluralistic society. I want all these pagan gods and goddesses to be honored, and I'm going to worship them. We're going to put altars in the house of God. We're going to compromise. We're going to be open up our society to anything and everything. It's not just tolerance. It's total acceptance. It's okay. One God is as good as another God. How many times have I heard that? How many times have I heard, you know, there's no difference in Allah and God. We're about to figure out there's a little difference, wouldn't you say, ladies and gentlemen? So this is what we're dealing with. Manasseh just took down fences. All the moral standards, all the things, all we, we accept everybody, everybody come in, do whatever they, not just tolerance, but acceptance. See, there's a difference. We're tolerant, but we, we don't accept. We don't take away the moorings of the Constitution and the bylaws, and we no longer have to worry about saying a pledge to the flag, one nation under God, individual liberty. Oh, no, you can't say, listen, this is who we are. This is the pillars upon which America was founded and the pillars upon America was state. You can't argue with that. Read the Federalist Papers. We are a nation under God. And you start taking down fences. You better figure out why those fences were there in the first place. When you stand against the Ten Commandments, remember, you don't break the Ten Commandments. I don't break the Ten Commandments. They break you and they break me and they will break our nation. Number one, Manasseh took down fences. Number two, Manasseh. What did he do? Sacrifice the children. Sacrifice his own child to a pagan god or goddess in the valley of Gehenna, which is right there in Jerusalem. It means hell, fire, hell. 
And can you imagine, they said when they would bring all their children down, which had great value, and they would take them and let them roll out of their arms into those pagan altars and sacrifice those children. There were all kinds of crying and moaning by those children. Some were not just babes, some were older. They would give their children these pagan gods and goddesses, and all the pagans around would beat on drums. And they would just shout and do things like that to drown out the cries of the children. Well, what about America? A life is taken in a mother's womb in America, 1,233 every day. Since Roe versus Wade, 1973, over 57 million children Babes have been killed in their mother's womb. That's metropolitan Houston about 16 or 17 times if we have 4 million lives killed. Today in America, of all the young people, 30 and under females, seven of 10 of them have had an abortion. You can tell the direction a nation is going to go by how they treat their children, how they love their children, how special their children are, how sacred indeed is the gift of life. Israel began to be destroyed from within because Manasseh took down fences and Manasseh sacrificed children, even his own child. And the third thing he did, he silenced the voice of the prophets. Extra biblical literature tells us that as Isaiah was speaking against, against the decadence of Manasseh, Manasseh cut off the head of Isaiah, says extra biblical literature, with a wooden saw. Heard anything like that recently? Oh, that's all, that's all. Heard anything like that recently? To silence the voice of those who will speak out and speak truth into the culture. America, we said, we're a melting pot. That used to be, now we're a salad. Used to be, you know, I, I came, uh, my, my daddy was second generation German. My mother, third generation Scott Irish. I stand up here and I'm not German or Scott-Irish. Uh, uh, that's a part of my background, and there's some cultural things there. You know, I, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I was born, uh, and I, I'm all of that. I, I'm not a, I, I've melted into that. You know, I've melted away all that. I'm an American, and you see different culture today. You, you know, the, the culture of, uh, of Texas is not the culture of my home state of Mississippi. We have different cultures. And that culture was tested yesterday. <laughs> Keith and Aggie, that's what I... <laughs> and I'm for the Aggies that just got away from me. <laughs> but the cultures, we, we come... The wonderful thing is we can come together in our cultures. Years ago in Berkeley... Uh, there was a young student there who was 19 years old. She was born in Shanghai. Um, she was um, from Russian descent. 
She's at Berkeley, getting an education, brilliant girl, but she had a vivacious personality. She was flirtatious. You know, she loved everybody. She'd hug and kiss the guys, and she bounced around, and, and that's just her personality. But she met a young Asian student there. He from a different culture, and, 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 and in the process, she would just hug and kiss him, and, you know, just casually with a group, and he misinterpreted that. He felt that, you know, they had a romance going. And so then, far as she's concerned, out of the clear blue, he proposed marriage to her. She was stunned. She said, are you joking? Or are you? And she sort of laughed at him and joked and put him down, and he felt totally humiliated. He felt totally embarrassed. And then ultimately, he became so depressed, he became violent and took her life, killed her. In the trial, his lawyer defeated uh, pleaded insanity and added to it, this was simply the clash of two cultures. One culture saw romance, the other culture saw friendship, and it was the clash of two cultures that led to the death of this student. See, the closer all the cultures of the world come to us, the closer we get to one another, the more there is a clash of culture unless a Christian man was visiting Romania right in the middle of the Cold War when Romania was run by godless Marxist dictator. And if you mentioned God or Christ, he would either take you out or put you in prison. And in this situation, this Christian man was walking down the streets, wrapped up. It was cold. Wind was blowing. And by himself, he was there on business, and he saw the faces of all those hopeless Romanians, cold, empty, lost, no, no hope at all, emptiness but under that dictatorship, that godlessness, that poverty. But as he walked through, suddenly he passed a man, and the man was whistling. And he said, he's whistling, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. And so he turned around, and he didn't want to just interrupt him. He didn't know he was being watched as an American there. So he came behind him and walked by him. He started whistling. And the man looked at him, and he began to speak to him, and he saw that he didn't understand him. And then he said, almost as if we had planned it, together we said, and he said, we embraced embraced and said he went all whistling and he said I went all whistling he said all of a sudden language race culture background economics everything was totally disappeared because we were brought together in Jesus Christ that is the answer ladies and gentlemen no matter where we're from what our background what country, what nationality, what, it doesn't make any difference. In Jesus Christ, we are brought whole again together in him as our Lord and as our Savior. Now, in the meantime in this culture, we need to not walk around with light armor and mud flaps. That's not going to get it. 
We're going to see how we put on the whole armor, completely clothed with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when that happens, there will be a healing. There will be a battle that has already been won. By the way, I should not tell you this. This is getting not next week, but the week after this is a secret, but we're going to experience total victory when we go to the cross Sunday after next. Don't, don't, get, don't get ahead. And we're going to see a victory that we've never seen even if we visited the cross before. But that's just a secret. Don't let that out. In the meantime, in the meantime, Light armor, mud flaps, not enough. We're going to put on the whole armor, which is Jesus Christ. And we'll be able in an evil world to be the difference makers in bringing people together in defeating evil and claiming victory, full victory as we stand, as Paul said, as we stand in Jesus Christ. You have been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we end today's program, it's great to have Dr. Young in the studio with us to answer a quick question today. Dr. Young, is the fight against Satan usually a personal one-on-one -on -one battle, or should we be working together with other believers to repel the enemy? It's both and. Sometimes the battle is one-on-one, -on -one, it's private, it's unknown, and then we have to draw on the resources individually of our walk with Christ. It is the Bible. It is prayer. And then finally, there's fellowship. There is the koinonia. There's the family of faith. There's the church. And so often we go there to brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and we confide in them. We ask them to guide and strengthen us, to lead us through this valley of the shadow of death, which is the valley of the shadow many times of temptation. So it's individual and it's corporate. And if we're going to win this battle, we can't do it alone. We have to do it in the fellowship of other Christians who are in the body of Christ. So it seems to be lonely, but it's really not. Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is on our side, plus the whole realm of brothers and sisters that we are part of in the family of faith. That's very helpful, Great, Thanks, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.